I was born in West Virginia. I was my parents' third child. So by the time they had me, they were almost grown up. I remember just loving school. I just thought it was great. I never did well, but it was it was this place you went to with a whole lot of other kids. I was um, always the one getting in trouble for, for talking when we weren't supposed to talk, and that it would irritate the kids who were trying to be quiet. I was just too pushy, you know. I really I tried too hard a lot of times. My mom was always really exhausted and definitely had depression, and my older sister took care of me a lot. She would get me ready for school. She would get me ready for, like, you know, the little birthday parties you go to in elementary school and stuff. It was always my sister getting me ready and making sure. My dad was always away on business. He wasn't there very often. He would come back and forth just regularly enough. You know, he'd be gone for two nights and three days or something like that. He taught you how to do the yard. You did lots of yard work. And you rearranged and cleaned the garage. Because if he attempted to do anything on the inside, you know, he would say, this is your mom's department. We don't want to get in on her flow. The best dynamic was when he would tell us to help our mom. You know, go help your mother. Supposedly clean the clean the table, what have you, and then we we do that. We'd take stuff in. We go and we'd be happy to help our mom. Oh, sure, whatever. My mom would go, just just go, just I'll do it, just go. So now you can't let your dad see you not helping your mom, but your mom won't let you. So where in the house do you stand? My mom was there physically, but. She had, uh, first of all, she was living up to my dad's standards, and which I now know is OCD. <laughs> we didn't do, learn how to do really anything. It was just, you know, stay out of the way. My mom would clean up after us. And when I say my mom clean up after us, I'm saying we never knew we made messes. You don't naturally know you make a mess as you can see from any child. Well, if you're always immediately cleaned up after and your mess is never left for you to trip over and break stuff, and you don't ever learn. So I was living on my own with a couple of roommates and all of a sudden here's these messes. Where did these messes come from? What are these? Who's, I would, that sounds stupid. You're 20, but it actually, your brain doesn't work like that. It's, that is not an intellect. It's not about how smart you are. It's lived experience. But if you're not allowed to live that experience, you, you don't have it. Those little things like that were not my lived experience. And so it was shocking to me. And it was amazing when people would tell me I was spoiled. 
I now know if you're trying to keep up a house with three young kids, and especially if you're not teaching them how to pick up after themselves or how to clean at all, help you in any way, then it's a, we're just around the clock. And so once she had any chance to, to stop, that's what she did is just lay there. She grew up in the hills of West Virginia, and it was not questioned. You heard it your whole life. You get to a certain age, you're, you will fall in love and get pregnant and get married. And, you know, it's just what you will do. It is your purpose in life. And, and that's exactly what my mom did. Here she was running after babies, cleaning a house. The husband who was out doing who knows what. She was, yeah, she was pretty depressed. And everyone around her was like, oh, you have such a wonderful life. You know, your husband keeps you in such a beautiful house. And look at your lovely children. And she's just like, I want to die. Even my dad was, what is your problem? And as she would complain about that and complain about physical issues, everybody just dismissed with her. It was, you know, always women's problems, women's troubles. I started to really isolate myself at home. And that was probably more about, um, I was starting to get very emotional. And so just everyone irritated me. I didn't want to be around anyone. It had a lot to do with my age, but it had a lot to do with I was having emotions and nobody seemed to really want to talk to me about them because I certainly didn't know how to talk about the way I was feeling. It had to do with what everything was happening in my life and nobody uh, comes to someone who is 14 and, and just says, hey, are you, know, are you doing okay? There's a lot going on right now. I was hyperventilating at school, and they, I didn't know what was going on with that, and nobody else did either. I had no idea. They really snuck up on me. It wasn't something that I felt building. It was I felt just fine and then had the signs of complete hyperventilation, you know. And it was like, what? what's going on? Whoa, you know. Um, the other thing that was happening was um, missing time. You know, I was blacking out and not passing out. And that was very strange. And I have never had that happen since. And it wasn't until I started hearing about other people describing panic attacks that they also would lose time. First, of course, they thought that I had epilepsy. So they did all that check in my brain, and it was fine. No sign of having had seizures. So then, of course, they thought it was my heart. And nothing wrong there. <laughs> Therapy meant something very different in, in 1988. So you, I went to a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist offered, uh, you know, a therapeutic analysis of what was going on with you. My mom and dad wanted to try to talk to me, thank goodness. Mainly, I think it was my mom. 
And my dad really liked the therapist, or the psychiatrist, rather, uh, until she said something he didn't like. The idea was to try to help us communicate and hear each other with a, a facilitator, you know, um, a neutral person. I graduated high school having been uh, with a boyfriend for uh, almost a year. So as we graduated high school, of course, we were engaged and we we got an apartment together. He went to basic training so that he could be in um, reserves because he wanted them to pay for college. So by the time he came back from basic training, I had our apartment all set up, and that worked really well for about three months. And then it all fell apart in about ten different ways. And, um, yeah. I was going to school. I was just going to community college to do some of my basic courses. But with all the chaos that was going on at the apartment, I could never make it to class. I could never study. It was just was not working at all. I could not tell you where my head was at or what I was thinking or where my aim was or what. All I know is I spent um, about three and a half years just winging it. And then I met my first husband. We were friends, and then it very oddly morphed into dating somehow. We we really clicked. Um we said to each other what we needed to hear. We were very supportive. Um, and also, we were both very lonely. Once you really get to know somebody, especially if you're married to them for 10 years, when you learn all of their childhood baggage, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see why we ended up together. Yeah. He himself grew up without a dad, didn't have a real role model. When you have a, a trauma brain, your brain looks for a, a certain supportive thing and, and something that's going to make it comfortable. And it looks for the people who are the right balance and counterbalance to all your little special places. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it's, a, it's more trauma. But that's what your brain is used to, and it's going to go towards what it's familiar with before what is healthy. We knew each other for about two years before I got pregnant. He was worried about being any sort of disciplinarian. He was always worried about losing his temper and going too far. So in a lot of ways, he was a wonderful dad, but it would come to very odd, abrupt stops. <laughs> he would be very playful with them. But neither one of us really knew how to parent. I knew more how to have a, a, a very rough schedule, especially with the little ones. They got older, it was harder for me. And he knew how to follow along, you know, if he was told. And he knew how to be playful. I don't regret having kids. I regret the state of mind I was in when I started having kids. 
you know, if there's one thing that kids are good at, it's reflecting yourself back to you. And you either, you do one of two things, you learn from it or you choose to ignore it because you have to actively ignore it. Like everything else, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the tools. But as my kids were growing and I had more active interaction with them, I was like, this is not coming out at all the way I want. Um, I started going looking into child development. So I learned how the child's brain grew. and Because I, I was thinking, if I, if I can grasp what they understand at different ages and stages... I'm going to communicate with them better. So I think that we baby them for too long and then we jump over a big and we talk to them too old. When I think you'd be surprised at what they do understand at young and be surprised what they don't understand. <laughs> That's how they learn to survive is mimicking your behavior. That's when you see like a five-year-old and they're truly mimicking and they really don't understand what they're doing, but boy, do they look like it. <laughs> Luckily, we're both intelligent and we're both had the desire to grow and heal. So as we learned that what we were doing for each other was not healthy, you know, we're like, no, we got to go the other way. It's just not good. Well, we moved to Las Vegas from Ohio, and it took a while for us to actually legally get divorced, but we were separated. He lost his job and didn't tell me for two months. And we went from there to a really, really horrible, frightening apartment complex. And so we were only there for four weeks. Um, because uh, was either there or a shelter. So in that time, I was working two jobs, and we were separated, but I literally had him still in the house to miss free daycare. The kids ended up being split up and staying with my family, various family members. I had one kid living at my sister's in Las Vegas and the other two living with my dad in Ohio because my mom and dad were split up by then. My dad uh, was cheating on my mom, and the husband of that woman came to my mom and said, I have recordings of their uh, phones calls, and uh, you want to go in on me with a lawyer? You know, because I'm divorcing her. I always thought that I had depression and most likely like a borderline personality disorder. But I uh, have DID, dissociative identity disorder. It used to be multiple personality disorder, and I'm glad that they've changed it because it's not the same thing. I was definitely in charge of getting help because I was the one that was pushing things in the first place because I'm the one that knew that my reality was not right. And so it was very, very hard to be validated. It's not that people didn't believe mental illness existed, but they really wanted to make it the uh, last possible choice and wanted to... Uh, 
knock out all other possibilities. I was uh, disassociating quite a bit. Disassociation can go from, um, I mean, everybody experiences it to some degree. For instance, you're in a waiting room and, you know, you don't have any electronics. You're not reading. You're just sitting there and, you know, really type of meditation, you know, in a way you, you disassociate because you disassociate from your body. You disassociate from your thoughts. When you're on autopilot, anytime you're doing any task that you've done many times, when it's uh, really severe, it, uh, you, you do lose time. I don't know if uh, you've ever heard anybody talk about being in a physical fight uh, and not really remembering much about it. Um, that happened to me once, but I've only ever really been in, in a, two maybe physical fights ever. And uh, you know, that's, that's the same thing. That's also a disassociation. I think it's something that I had to one degree or another for most of my life. And also it was my norm. You really get scrambled. You kind of go all over the place. Your brain remembers all the different times that you heard people tell you various things that you did that you didn't remember, or why are you acting so weird, or when somebody came up and called you a different name, hi, I haven't seen you in a while, and you had no idea who they were. I went by a different name in high school, and um, I, uh, yeah, I've been known by a few different names throughout my life. You know, it's you. You had different different things. That be like, well, maybe there's been a few clues over the years. Since we've been able to scan and learn way more about the brain, I think they're understanding. I think as they've understood more about disassociation itself, it's made it way more of an understandable and realistic phenomenon. It's um. A lot like when you are remembering a dream when you first wake up, you you knew that you 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 can you're remembering experiencing something, and dreams feel like you were actually there a lot of the time, um, but whenever you remember it again and then you are telling someone about it, it's uh, strange how you have to sit and remember the dream to get all the facts again. It's very similar to that. But it's also a safety feature that our animal brain has when you are in a uh, extreme situation that your brain can't comprehend. It may disassociate at the moment just in case something really horrible happens. Now, maybe nothing horrible happened, but your brain is, has no comparison to what's happening right now. And it has some sort of signs around it that it could be dangerous. Your brain would do that. So when a human being at a very young age experiences not one or two, but multiple traumatic instances that 
trigger that part of the brain. The brain says, this is something we need. And it is very comfortable with using that. It's a natural process. Now, you can learn to be somewhat aware during a disassociation or completely unaware as far as being a completely different person, if the brain has learned before the person's full personality has formed that a disassociation process works for an uncomfortable situation, it won't wait for trauma. It will start doing this in any sort of situation where the feelings and emotions of the person is just, I don't like that. It becomes much more understandable and way more realistic when you realize that this person now no longer has to experience war, death, beatings. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a traumatic thing for this person's brain because this person's brain is now very comfortable with disassociation. So it's going to start branching off when it's just the slightest bit, you know, ooh, ow. You know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, I don't like that. And, and it just makes it way more easier where uh, someone who did not have such a traumatic experience at this, it's, it's going to take a lot more for it to do this. And as it learns speech, as it learns communication and social graces, oh, well, if I act completely different, they're manipulating their world. Now, the brain... This puts up walls against what is called the core personality because this emotion was built because they're saying, you can't handle this. I'm just hoping that as someone who's been through all of that, if I could help be a catalyst for communication so that people can help, it felt like they, they come over to your house and they, they say, what can we do for you? How can we help you? The mental state I was in and what we had gone through, I had no idea. If I knew what you could help me with, you wouldn't be here. I, I would just do it. <laughs> I was certainly in no place at that time to tell anybody how they could help me. I had no idea. They would tell me, we can't tell you how to live your life. You have to tell us what we can do for you. I might be in that state of mind now. I could probably tell somebody who was in that position how they could help me. At that time, I was not able to even come close to it. I was paralyzed mentally. So they were no help at all. And our family, things kept getting worse. They did not understand that I was not in a mental state to respond to what they were saying. And that's where I want to communicate to the professionals what is it can, that you can do besides just sit there and stare at me asking, waiting for me to tell you. There's, there's got to be more that you can do.